Luke chapter 4, verse 16. Would you stand with me as we read God's word together? <clears throat> what an interesting uh, event in the life of Christ. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this moment in time. I pray that you would help us to see it, to go back there, and understand what Christ was saying. Thank you for this beautiful week that you've given us and all of your blessings in our life. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> Today we continue with our series on the chosen. This is from season three. And the message this morning is entitled the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee. We see this in verse 18. If you can go to that again, it's right there at the middle section. It says, the spirit of the Lord is on, on me. These are the words of Christ. Because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, and to proclaim the, Lord, the year of Lord's favor. Now he says more than just a standard year of Jubilee. He adds a few things there that is spoken through the prophet Isaiah. This is God's speaking through Isaiah many hundreds of years before. I don't know that Isaiah fully understood. I doubt that he did exactly what even he was writing and realizing this would be fulfilled in Christ. But he talks about releasing prisoners. We'll get to that and recovery of sight for the blind. He's just speaking about miraculous events. So what is the year of Jubilee? By the way, when it says to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, he's speaking of the year of Jubilee. We don't really celebrate the year of Jubilee. So what is the year of Jubilee? And I'm just going to give you three little points today to give you an idea of why we would ever celebrate the year of Jubilee. What did it mean? Number one, the year of Jubilee is about restoration. The year of Jubilee is about restoration. Every seven years, the Israelites were to observe a sabbatical year and allow the land to rest. After seven sabbaticals, that is 49 years, that next year, the 50th year, was called the year of Jubilee. So it only happened once in the lifetime of every Israelite. They would, they would, if they lived long enough, they would see one year of Jubilee. During the year of Jubilee, all debts were canceled, all slaves were set free, all land was returned to the original owners, and everyone was given a fresh start, a new beginning in life. Isn't that awesome? I love that. Every 50 years, all debts were canceled. I would love if I received a letter from the IRS that says, this is the year of Jubilee. You owe no taxes this year. If you have any back taxes, that's forgiven too. 
It's not going to happen, but wouldn't that be great? You got a letter from your credit card company and says all debts canceled from your car company or your mortgage for your house, all paid off. If you're in prison, they let you go. Now, the slaves at this time were people who, if they had a debt, they couldn't afford their credit card debt or their mortgage. They could sell themselves into servanthood and uh, they became slaves, essentially, to pay off their debts. But in the year of Jubilee, it doesn't matter how long your debt was for or how much your debt was not paid. In the year of Jubilee, you were set free, no longer a slave, and no longer owing any debt at all. It was a fresh start in life. And so the whole nation reset itself in 50 years. Also, there were no crops. They didn't uh, plant crops. They, the, the land was given that opportunity to rest as well. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Christianity.com says it this way. It's important to note that God owns everything. Anything he's given to us, such as resources, crops, etc., belongs to him. Therefore, the Israelites would dedicate this year to him, acknowledging that God provided for their needs. Because they didn't have their normal crops in that year of Jubilee, they had to depend upon God to provide for them. From a practical standpoint, the article says, it also makes sense in terms of the land. Vegetation won't grow if people overwork the land. Therefore, by instituting years of rest, the land has time to recover and produce a bountiful harvest in future years to come. Now, I'm not a big gardener like my dad was, but I do know if you plant the same crop in the same place year after year after year, it pulls the nutrients out of the soil and makes it difficult to grow that particular crop. That's why a lot of farmers, or perhaps all farmers, vary their crop from time to time to give the land a chance to recover for a particular crop. Twice a year here at First Baptist Church, we have a program called The Biggest Loser. It's a diet program. It's named after the TV show, uh, The Biggest Loser. And we, <clears throat> we basically weigh in every week and if you gain weight, you have to pay, and I've told you this before, you have to pay a dollar for every pound you gain. I call it the dollar of shame. Or in this case, last week, I had to pay $3. Somehow I managed on a diet program to gain three pounds in one week. So there, I, some, I don't know if they have a trophy for that. But, but I, by the way, I, I sign up every time. In the spring and in the fall, I sign up. Now, I'm not a real big guy, but the problem is that all year long, I eat things that aren't good for my body. The salt and the cholesterol, the fat and the sugar. Oh, the sugar. The processed foods that, frankly, our bodies weren't even designed to digest. So I give my body a break and I eat things that it needs. Every day when I'm on my diet and I'm doing what I'm supposed to, I eat fruit and nuts, lean meat and vegetables. I do light exercise. I cut out most dairy and most sugar. I feel better. My energy level improves. My heart rate goes down. My complexion even improves. My body rests and restores. And that's what the year of Jubilee was. It was intended for God's people to have a restoration, a fresh start. Now, what happens to our bodies physically when we don't ever go on a diet? 
Now, if you're young, you're in your teens or 20s, you don't really care. But let me tell you what happens in a few years. <laughs> when you hit your 40s and 50s and 60s, and you don't ever refresh your body, you don't ever go on a diet, you don't ever cut out the sugars and the fats, eventually your body just gets worse and worse and worse until you have to have some emergency surgery just to keep you alive, or you have to be put on medication for the rest of your life, or both, or worse. So it's important that we let our bodies restore. Well, God understood that about the land, and he understands that about us spiritually as well. You and I need the year of Jubilee. There needs to be a revival, a refreshing, a fresh start in our life spiritually, because we get in a rut that way as well. So let me ask you this. What do you do spiritually to find restoration? What does that look like? How does that work? Life drags us down. This world is a mess. It makes us discouraged, depressed, pessimistic, angry, frustrated, emotionally fatigued, and spiritually distracted. Just like eating the wrong foods over the years, spiritually it will drag you down and down and down and down. Shackled by the darkness of this world. Without times of refreshing and restoration, we become spiritually weak and numb to the bombardment of the darkness of this world in our own hearts. We start hating just like everybody else. We start complaining all the time just like everybody else. But God has called us to joy and he wants you, your life and my life to experience joy and refreshing. And we won't find that in this world. So here's my challenge to you this morning. Now, this is not the first time I've done this or something like this, at least. But I'm going to challenge you right now. Are you ready? Uh, once every three months. Because I'm not going to wait once every 49 or 50 years. <laughs> okay. I just threw out three months. I didn't want something that's too frequent. You just wouldn't do it or too long. It, it, it would, you would just be too far gone. Once every three months, I want to challenge you for one week, once every three months, one week, no news reports, no internet, and no texting. Now, I challenge you to do this. You can, for like 25 bucks, go buy a cheap flip phone that has no, it's not a smartphone. You can put your SIM card in that for a week and just do your phone calls that you have to do. Other than that, stay off the phone. And I understand some of you work where you have to get on the internet, you have to do some texting, but keep it at, just for work and at a minimum. Listen to me. I know for you, you younger ones, this is a shock to you, but this your world somehow survived for thousands of years without ever texting. When I was in high school, the word internet had not been invented yet. So you can do it. You can get by without the internet. I know, it's a shock. You can get by without texting. You can get by without watching the news, trust me. All of those politicians are going to go through just fine without you being upset and yelling at the TV. They don't need us. 
world go right by without us. Just one week every three months. Can I challenge you to do that? Listen to me. If you'll give it one week, I believe that God will refresh and restore you. I believe you'll be in more peace, less angry, and more full of joy. Um, so that's my challenge. Now, I, 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 I want you to replace that with something. While you're removing yourself, you're on a diet from the world. You're on a diet from the internet, a diet from texting, and a diet from the news. I want you to replace that news time and internet time with something productive. Grow a garden, read your Bible, or a good Christian book that will encourage you. Go for walks, pray more, enjoy life. Which brings us to the next truth. The year of Jubilee is about restoration, but also the year of Jubilee is about rest. Leviticus chapter 25 verse 10 says this, <clears throat> About the year of Jubilee, this is where we get the year of Jubilee, by the way, Leviticus 25. Consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a Jubilee for you. Each one of you is to return to his family property and each to his own clan. And you may sound, say, well, that doesn't sound very happy. But he tells us to do a couple of very important things here. Number one, did you notice he says, proclaim liberty throughout the land? Liberty means everybody's free. Everybody's debt free. Can you imagine if there wasn't one single American that had any debt? What that would be, no credit card debt, no house debt, no personal debt of any kind, no debt on a car. There was zero debt in this nation. Whew. That's almost inconceivable, but that's what they did. And so proclaim liberty throughout the land. There, there were no slaves at that point. Everybody's freed. Everybody gets to go back home. In fact, that's the second thing he says. It shall be a jubilee for you. That is, it should be happy for you. Each one of you is to return to his family property and each to his own clan. Go home. Rest. Spend time with your family. Now we do some similar things in our world. Young people. Imagine with me just a minute, if you had to go to school 12 months a year, you got no summer break, no spring break, no Christmas break, no bad weather breaks. You went to school every day, five days a week, 12 months a year. Now, we don't do that. You know why we don't do that, adults? Because they would just pop. <laughs> and so would you and I, by the way. We're not designed to just work all the time. They need a rest. I think that's why we take vacations. When I was a boy, one of five children, my father was a barber, as you all know. We had no money. Dad was self-employed, so when he didn't work, he didn't get paid. But we still took a vacation every single year, and it was almost always two weeks long packed five kids in that old Chevy station wagon and hauled off across the country with five ready-headed kids. I don't know how they do it. My mom and dad deserve a special place in heaven for packing us in the middle of the summer into that wagon every single summer. Sure, it was a low-budget vacation, 
We ate sandwiches on the tailgate at every roadside rest stop. The sandwiches that mother made, we still didn't eat out hardly ever when we were on vacation. Now we go on vacation just so we can eat out <laughs> without feeling bad. We got to. We're on vacation. We camped at KOAs or state parks. We were always on a shoestring budget. And mom and dad could never afford it. But we did it anyway. And you know what? They were the best memories of my life. This matters because God takes rest seriously. God wants you to work hard. Don't be lazy, ever. But your career must not become an idol or a prison. God will take care of you. Take a break. But the break you need is more than just physical. It is also spiritual. Jesus knew that. And this passage I know I've shared with you before in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28. Jesus says, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He's speaking spiritually here. Which brings us to the final truth. The year of Jubilee is about Christ. The year of Jubilee is about Christ. Even though it was written hundreds of years before, this prophecy was about Jesus. When God created the year of Jubilee, way back in Leviticus, uh, what, 1,500 years before the birth of Christ, he was ultimately pointing toward the cross. When Christ died on the cross, he came back to life to give us an opportunity to be released from our own sins. You see, I told you this world is dark, and it is. Things you see in the news are horrible, graphic, awful. And the burdens of your work and the problems in your life and the stresses that we have are all difficult, but none of them compare to the weight that we bear from our own sin. And Christ came to free us. The year of Jubilee is about Christ. So Jesus went to speak in the synagogue of Nazareth. Now, tens of thousands have flocked to him by this time. Tens of thousands. He's healed many hundreds of people. He's performed amazing, miraculous signs. People are following him everywhere he goes, but now he goes back home, just him. And he goes into this synagogue there in Nazareth, which he grew up in. He's been in there thousands of times. But these people all know him as the boy Jesus, the son of Joseph, not as Messiah, not as prophet. And so he has a very different outcome there. As you may well know, by the time he's through with his sermon, they drag him out of there to a cliff to kill him. This is somebody they grew up with. What a remarkable incident. Event. Look with me in Luke chapter 4, verse 22. We're going to look at uh, uh, his sermon briefly. All, who, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. By the way, did you know that that came from the Bible? 
Physician heal thyself? I thought it came from Star Trek. It's from the, the Bible. <laughs> Physician heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we've heard that you did in Capernaum. Do more tricks for us. We want to see some miracles. They don't want to believe. They just want to see a show. I tell you the truth, he continued. No prophet is acceptable in his, or accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people of the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill in which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Again, he, he went into God mode, <laughs> I call it. You know, when they wanted to kill him, he, he goes, nope, it's not my time, and he just walks right through them. There was nothing they could do. But as you read this, you have to think, wow, what made him so mad? He talks about this, this uh, widow and this guy named Naaman who was healed of leprosy. Who cares? You have to understand the context of why he said what he said to understand why they were so angry. Well, first, by the way, in the midst of this sermon, he called himself a prophet. That bothered him a lot. And he claimed he was personally the fulfillment of the year of Jubilee. That's why he says, this is being fulfilled in your presence today. Second, Jesus told them that God offers salvation to everyone, not just Jews. And he gave them two illustrations from the Old Testament. And when they realized that he was implying that God, even in the Old Testament, wanted all people to come to him and that the Jews weren't just the chosen people, they weren't the only people that God loved, that made them furious. Because they didn't care about Gentiles, only about Jews. So they decided to literally push him over the edge. Reading this is powerful, by the way, but seeing the scene gives you appreciation for Christ and the context of what happened on that day. Watch this. A reading from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to the opening of the prison for those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor.
the fulfillment of this scripture, as you have heard it, is today. This is the year of the Lord's favor. This is a year of jubilee, a year of the poor, the brokenhearted, the captive, and the blind are offered redemption. Here, now. We are with you. Keep going. Not bad for a carpenter's son, yes? <laughs> I mean, especially Joseph. May he rest in peace. Jesus, please explain why you stopped the reading before Isaiah spoke of the day of vengeance of our God, especially during a time of such oppression. The day of vengeance is in the future. I'm not here for vengeance. I'm here for salvation. You're here for salvation. What are you saying? You know what I'm saying. And this year of Jubilee, this year of the Lord's favor, is not about release from financial debts. I'm here to provide release from spiritual debt. We're the chosen seed of Abraham. We don't have spiritual debt. Jesus. Yes, Adam. We've been hearing about the signs and wonders. And now this? Are you claiming to be more than a rabbi? More than even the baptizer? No doubt one of you will quote me the proverb, Physician, heal yourself. The things we heard you did in Capernaum and in Syria, do here in your hometown. Yes? Why not? I get it. It's always easier to accept hard truths and even greatness from strangers than from those you know well, especially those you knew as awkward teenagers or even as adults, as some of you saw earlier today. Lass here would make a more believable prophet. <laughs> but this brings up an important truth. No prophet is acceptable in his hometown. Be careful with what you call yourself. This should be easy to prove. Dinah and Rafi, you say you saw it, yes? Yes. Yes, we saw it, but... He did not claim this. A true prophet from Adonai would not deny his own people's signs and wonders. Listen carefully. When a great famine hit Israel during the days of Elijah, three years and six months, there were many widows, yes? And we know how the Father cares for his chosen people, especially widows. But Elijah was sent to none of them. Not a one. Instead, he was sent to a widow in Sidon, in Zarephath, a Gentile woman. Martha, what happened? She gave up her last flour and oil for one more cake and gave it to Elijah. Why would she do that? Elijah told her the Lord said to do so. Yes. The Lord said, that he would make it so that her flour and oil would never run out. 
and she believed. A pagan Gentile in a pagan land. And she was hungry enough to know she needed God and to obey him. And so God sent Elijah to multiply her food forever. What about Elisha and Naaman? There were many lepers in Israel during this time, but none of them were cleansed except Naaman. Only a Gentile, a Syrian soldier, an enemy of the Lord's people. But he was so desperate, he trusted Elisha, and his leprosy was cleansed. You may be the chosen seed of Abraham. You may be the people of the covenants, but that will not bring you my salvation. If you cannot accept that you are spiritually poor and captive in the same way that a Gentile woman and a Syrian leper recognize their need Do not realize that you need a year of the Lord's favor. And I cannot save you. Who do you think you are? This is what Hannah talked about that he even called himself the Messiah. Are you claiming to be the Messiah? Or are you merely claiming to speak for the Lord as a prophet? Yes. You are a false prophet. <gasps> well, that is quite a thing to say. Jesus, maybe we should leave. Lazarus, you're his friend. You cannot be involved. You know what the law of Moses says? We are all his friends, Aaron. We cannot say things like this. Jesus, stand up at once. Rabbi, please. Rafi, come with Jesus and me. No. We will leave, and you can all continue the service. Rabbi Benjamin has asserted false prophecy. And I cannot argue. You said you saw the miracle. He's saying only he can save He us. did not use those words. It's what I meant. Jesus, you're not helping. Stop. He's saying we are not the Holy Ones chosen. Now he did not say that. In words, a book of Moses. That's a prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak. That same prophet shall die. Rabbi Benjamin, I beg of you, not this. Lazarus, it's fine. Jesus, they're going to... I don't have time to show you their attempt to throw him off a cliff. You'll have to watch the, the episode for that. Do you understand their misunderstanding about the Messiah and their own need? And that's what really Christ was trying to get at. The beauty of it is, it doesn't matter what your nationality is, where you're from, how old you are, what your background, what you've done. None of that makes any difference. You all are loved by God.
And he wants to give you the year of Jubilee. And that only comes through Christ. One of the songs they sang this morning is called What a Beautiful Name. It's just a wonderful song. I don't know if you've listened to the words. Listen to the words. Death could not hold you. The veil tore before you. You silenced the boast of sin and grave. The heavens are roaring the praise of your glory for you're raised to life again. You have no rival. You have no equal. Now and forever, God, you reign. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the glory. Yours is the name above all names. What a powerful name it is. What a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. The year of Jubilee is here today through Christ. Pray with me. Father, we come to you today and we acknowledge that we all need spiritual restoration, salvation. We need to be released from the shackles of our sin, the darkness of this world, And only Christ can do that for us. So, Father, we ask and pray today you would help us. Draw us to you. Draw us to Christ. Release us from our sin as we surrender to him. Your word tells us that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So, Father, we pray today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of jubilee in our life. As you're praying, no one's looking around. Can I challenge you to do that? If you've never given your life to Christ, you've never surrendered to him, this could be the moment of your salvation. You don't have to be a theologian. You only need to understand that Christ is the Son of God. He is who he said he was. That he died on the cross in our place. He paid the penalty for our own sin. So we don't have to pay that penalty. And he offers that forgiveness. He offers that salvation freely to anyone who accepts it, to anyone who will receive it. This can be the moment. Everything in the past, every sin you've ever committed, every wrong deed, every wrong thought, wiped clean. And you can start new today. If you're a believer, I challenge you to do what I suggested to you. You need a time of jubilee. Once every three months, just take a week. No internet, no texting, no news. Spend that time with your Savior, with your family. Spend that time doing something constructive. Would you be willing to make that commitment to God today? I need a time of refreshing. And I'm going to do that. I'll take that challenge. If God is leading you to make a decision today, I'll be here at the front. Just come and say, Pastor, I want to give my life to Christ. Or Pastor, I want to join the church. Or Pastor, would you pray for me? Would you stand? No one's looking around. And as you stand and as you pray, right now, you come.